Welcome to the Proteomics in Proximity podcast, where your co-hosts, Dale Yuzuki, Cindy Lawley, and Sarantis Klamidis from Olink Proteomics, talk about the intersection of proteomics with genomics for drug target discovery, the application of proteomics to reveal disease biomarkers, and current trends in using proteomics to unlock biological mechanisms. Here we have your hosts, Dale, Cindy, and Sarantis. Hey there, welcome to Proteomics in Proximity, uh, where today we're talking about a, a wonderful paper in Cell Reports Medicine with Diaz Canestro and Eamon Zhu out of Eamon Zhu's lab in, at Hong Kong University. We're talking about the characterization, their characterization of inflammatory and cardiometabolic proteins, in particular in response to chronic exercise. And this is a cohort of, of 36 overweight and obese men with pre pre-diabetes. So the team looked at how does response to exercise work, and they used a machine learning algorithm to actually characterize uh, response to exercise. So very, very different uh, uh, paper than we've talked about before, and I think this is because we're, we're seeing proteomics being leveraged in these areas that we haven't seen before. So very exciting. And you think about the global burden, right, of obesity and overweight and diabetes. I mean, it's a huge, huge problem, right? When you look at um, the, the obesity rates in developed countries, it's just increasing at these breathtaking rates and diabetes, right? I mean, how many people, right, that we know that are pre-diabetic or on diabetes medication or what have you? Uh, Sarantos, what can you tell us about this particular group of 36 men? First of all, I will start with a little bit of the study and something that authors have discussed already and we are discussing before this meeting, right? It's a small cohort. There are 36 um, individuals, uh, but also there's no, there are male, there are no females and not any diversification at ethnicity as well. And uh, they pointed out that probably future studies, they will follow up just to make it more strong, the evidence of these biomarkers, like uh, for prediction, right? And I think that's really important to keep in mind when you design a study. Even in their age range, right? They commented on how women, exactly. the age range was like 20 to 60 and yeah. longitudinally over the course of what, uh, 12 weeks, they're talking yeah. about, you know, menstrual cycles and they're also talking about hormones and how they're, they're, they're varying in women. So therefore you can just say this first study, men made it for a simpler population. Just removing a few variables, right? On, yeah. On the yeah. small Moving. numbers. Yeah. 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 And then the other one, which I was thinking about, which is how difficult it is, right? To get obese men to volunteer for something like this. So this group of men, right, were average 40 years old and a full BMI of average of 30. So we have obese men and they were going through high intensity interval training, which uh, it, it was what over the 12 week period. And Cindy, how long, how often did they do this? So yeah, they're doing it three times a week. So I think that the, this was 70 minutes per session, right? So they had the structure of the exercise set up and in, in several stations, right? To keep, keep it novel. And they maintained, uh, the, um, exercise to improve or to change as they got used to the exercise, right? So they, they tried to maintain engagement, right? It, but like you mentioned, it's hard to keep 
people exercising over a 12 week period that frequently, right? Especially I mean, if they're going three from zero to three times a week. <laughs> zero, zero to three times a week, <laughs> yeah. 70 minutes per session. Oh, right? Too much. Yeah, and it's really, it's a, it was a 10 really minute warm up. It <laughs> yeah. was these stations for about 15 minutes per station. Yeah. So it was four different stations and then a cool down period. And you yeah. think, okay, how do we get? enough people but they did this with they found 36 volunteers they found people right average age 40 average bmi of 30 willing to go through 12 weeks of this but then they went ahead and Sarantis, right they took a look at their uh, blood samples at zero and four week and four 12 weeks and 12 but also the test itself right to take the fasting insulin uh, glucose tolerance test is a not easy test actually right because they they really need a lot of preparation and it's not it's not a straightforward study and it has a lot right. of difficulties yeah so the glucose mm. tolerance Sarantos, what can you tell me about that i mean i think most of us right go through this kind of diabetes screening but from a yeah. from a insulin resistance point of view what what does glucose tolerance show i mean the glucose i mean the insulin resistance actually is uh it's something a condition of the diabetic two a patient actually and there are a lot of uh, actually causes of this of this disease and most likely it's gene related you know but also the environment can play a role epigenetics also could play a role on this on this disease and uh, at the end like the outcome is there is a tolerance of uh, of the genes and they're resistant of the gene of the cells to to the insulin and for this we have accumulation of glucose at, at the blood you know in the simply in the simple words at the end we we just uh, we see a lot of of glucose uh, being in a circulating blood and uh, test also like C-peptide test or OGTTs or uh, insulin fasting uh, or glucose fasting genes. I mean, uh, tests help people to understand the, the condition of the of the disease actually. So by pre-diabetic, meaning their glucose levels weren't so high, right? They were approaching that. That glucose tolerance test, I mean, literally they're coming in in a fasted state and they're drinking straight glucose. Yes. <laughs> and then measuring their, in, their, their, I think, measuring glucose yeah. levels, right? Or maybe they're also yep. measuring yeah. insulin levels, but certainly yeah. seeing, you know, yep. are your yeah. glucose levels going, shooting straight up and not coming down over a period of time? And if they're not coming down because you're, your body is not releasing what it needs to yeah. to move mm -hmm. that sugar from your bloodstream into your cells, then you are portraying, you're demonstrating some insulin resistance. That's my understanding of it. Yep. But it's, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. The remarkable thing about the study is the intervention was the exercise, right? The intervention was these overweight individuals coming in three times a week to a center, right? Where they were monitored, told what to do, walk through the steps, three times a week for 12 weeks must not have been pleasant. And yet at the same time, right, they had no intervention with regard to diet. Basically said, yeah. you eat the way you normally eat, right? And through the exercise, I think one of the interesting things about the cohort, in addition to the biology, which we'll get to in just a minute, was they lost weight. I mean, their average BMI went from 30.05 to 29.60 over that time frame not adjusting for any kind of diet. 
and it made me think, hey, there's hope. <laughs> there's hope for the rest of us, right? Where it's like, as long as we right do high intensity training, and uh, I think the paper also points out, it was not moderate or low intensity. It had to be, it had to be intense. So, so then they went ahead and, and took a look at blood, right? At baseline at four weeks and at 12 weeks, how did they, how did they, uh, what did they use to take a look at the protein levels? So I can they use I, an O-link. Yeah, right? I can yeah. answer that. So they this group decided to to use two explore panels. So it, just as a reminder to our audience, you know, O-link came out with a qPCR readout and the founding uh, of the technology in this proximity extension assay, the the namesake of our of our podcast. And uh and then in 2020, Olink expanded its product portfolio to have an NGS or a next generation sequencing readout. And the advantage of that is that you just, in a, in a, in a run of a sequencing uh, instrument, you can get more molecules read out at one time. And so with our NGS readout, that's our explore technology. We're able to today do about 3000 proteins in 300, each of 384 samples and in a run of, a, of an Illumina NovaSeq, just as, a, as an example. And, uh, and here they use not the full 3000. They used, what was it? 200, no, 688. 600. Do I, do I remember yes, that right? 688. Yeah. <laughs> so they decided, you know, kind of like you were saying earlier, Sarantis, um, focusing it in to see in in these extreme cases of of men you know trying to reduce your your variability reduce your number of variables that you control and and see if what the signals are right they also focused in on cardiometabolic and inflammation uh proteins we roughly categorize them in in these these buckets right and uh, and they stuck with those two sets of of proteins we have, you know, a full 3K, and and in fact, you mentioned their future um, suggestions for where to go in the future, and they suggested expanding it beyond that because we actually have two cardiometabolic panels and two inflammation panels in our 3K, and so it would be really interesting to see to see this study expanded, and I I think just from seeing the the patterns within just these 36 individuals, as well as the machine learning algorithm. So we should talk a little bit about that, this machine le- learning al- algorithm that, that was able to integrate proteins and understand sort of and predict uh, someone's response to exercise, whether they're going to be a, what they called a responder or a not responder. Sounds really compelling around precision or individualized training or individualized, um, you know, uh, prevention of diabetes. And when you talk about responder versus non-responder, you're actually saying, right, that there was a subset of men who did not respond biologically, right, to the sort of pre-diabetes down to sort of a normal level. Yet there was a whole other group going through the same exercise regimen that responded. And that's really interesting, the findings, yeah? Yeah, and, and the the parameter they used, and this is not something I'm familiar with, so I'm not I'm not going to portray that I'm an expert at all, but but um, a, a clinical parameter called H-O-M-A-I-R. So it's an insulin resistance um, metric, HOMA-I-R, and they, they had this criterion that it needed to reduced by twofold in order for them to be categorized as responders. And so, yeah, exactly, Dale. Yep. And 
regardless, right? It was one of the figures that was really interesting was the trajectory of the protein. So we're looking at 688 proteins from an Explorer 384 panel, or I'm sorry, two Explorer 384 panels. Yeah. Uh, Cindy, correct me if I'm wrong. 384 could be read on a NexSeq, right? You don't need That's the NovaSeq capacity. That is true. You can do individual 384 panels in each run of a, of a NexSeq. That's right. Yeah. So they did two of these panels uh, on a NexSeq. Yes. I mean, I have to mention something for the assays. It's really clear uh, and really nice because the orthogonal validated these assays with MSDs, right? And they see in 19 individuals the really nice correlation with MSD. That's another way that mm. the, the show specificity and how specific are the assays in our parents, right? Because they can validate it with other orthogonal technologies yeah, and yeah. have really great data Good and point. confirm your data. Yeah. And to be That's clear, a, MSD yeah. only had, I think, an overlap of 19. 15 inflammatory proteins. Okay, okay exactly. so they only looked at 15 inflammatory very, proteins, very small yeah. subset. Subset. But nonetheless, yeah. across the 19 individuals, they found a very nice correlation Right yes. to the vast majority of those proteins, and I think what was it? Uh, uh, Eleven out of fifteen were highly correlated. Four out of fifteen were moderately correlated. So you just say, hey, you know, a very small subset of only uh, fifteen proteins out of six hundred and eighty-eight, but you know, good enough, right? Yeah, and I'll also emphasize, you know, these proteins that they were identifying are are low abundant proteins. These are ones where O-Link has really shined a light because of the, the ability for us to come in and hook out these low abundant proteins. These are not, these are certainly able to be seen through a mass spec approach, but, but it's harder to do that um, because of high abundant proteins uh, being so strong in a, in a mass spec readout. I think you'd have to do some sort of subtraction to to remove that component. And so what we're finding is that Olink has a nice a nice way to reveal some of these um these low abundant signatures that we just weren't easily able to see uh using existing methods. And I think, yeah, mm -hmm. you point out something really important, Sarantis, that that there just aren't that many low abundant assays out there that are commercially available. Um and so it's it's it, it's it's exciting to me to yep. see. And to, again, look at some of these results now over time, they clustered the response over week zero, week four, and week 12 in figure two, which I, I as a, the more I think about it, the more interesting those figures become. Why? Because, for example, cluster one was steadily increasing over time, right? Starts out at a very low level, goes to an intermediate level at four and then high, right? And those were what EPO and something they call myokines, which yeah. I never heard of before. Yeah, they're a subset of of, of cytokines that are released by the pro by the, the muscle is is how they defined it. But I agree it's an interesting term. Actually, in abstract, they call it all the exokines. I haven't heard of calling them exokines because they're right, released so they, through the exercise, right? right? So they call the myokines are a subset of the exokines. Exactly, exactly. That's great, yeah. That's and so one six, I think there, IL-6 yeah. is there as the IL-6 produced by muscle having a different function than IL-6 produced by the immune system. It's like, wow. Fascinating, right? Thing, and yeah. didn't we talk about that with, or with the two of you talked about that with Katerina? She had an example of IL-6 as an assay, which yeah, was compelling and very specific. And actually, there was a corroborative um, 
uh, assay that didn't didn't that uh, where Olink was able to show these IL six signatures that now, other assays not, weren't. Not to just detract from the main message, but I'm thinking, okay, how can you determine that this IL six molecule, which is identical to the molecule of IL six produced by the immune system, how can you tell it's from the muscle? Right? Because it's in circulation. But then it was, well, no, this is in response to exercise, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So, well, so I, then you can I think say, the yeah. bottom line is, right, this is a signature you're seeing in response to to uh, an exercise intervention. And so we're speculating that that's due to exercise, right? But I think that's a pretty, pretty good bet, yeah. as you say. Yeah. yeah. And then there was another cluster that was also interesting, cluster three, where you had it starting at a high level and then steadily decreasing. Okay, so this is another really simple example. But not necessarily the same proteins, right? I think that's important no. to, to point out. Yeah, go ahead, Dale, yep. please. So uh, in these 54 proteins on cluster three, they're looking at pro-apoptotic proteins, meaning these are proteins that encourage cell death. And Sarantis, you want to comment on that? It was like, well, why as a result of exercise, you have the ones that encourage apoptosis decreasing. Uh, be, that's a great, uh, great point. I mean, I can speculate, you know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. an expert of, uh, of apoptosis. I think it has to do probably with uh, different signaling pathways that they're uh, regulating different gene expressions related you know, to metabolism or uh, could be to regeneration, right? Or something for cell tissue regeneration connected, but that yeah. would be only some of speculation that I may have. Well, even, that, right? I mean, these are obese individuals, right? The body mass index is really, really high. And you yeah. can say they actually have a higher level of apoptotic activity. And to be clear, right, apoptosis is programmed cell death, right? This is sort of cells being pruned from your organism as a whole. And you just say, well, you know, maybe this is a function of inflammatory processes, right? People, or right? some homeostasis, they could be, you know, that you shift the homeostasis somehow when you, you know, could be different pathways that they may affect by this. But yeah, it's really, it's an interesting finding. Yeah. That's true. And then to move on to, to cluster number four, this is appetite stimulating that bounces. It starts a certain level, goes really low, and then goes up to normal again. And this is appetite stimulating. And I thought, well, wow, it's I'm appetite stimulating <laughs> hormones that are decreased over time, right? Yep. So the idea might be that you're reducing appetite stimulation. That's really interesting. I agree. Yeah, they basically get less hungry, which explains right why, even though they're not modulating their diet consciously, their body saying, "Hey, you don't need to eat so much." <laughs> <laughs> and probably this is interesting. There is a crosstalk probably with neurogenes in the brain, right? Probably there is uh, probably some. If you do some CSF, uh, some CSF proteomics, you may see some hormones released that they are changing at the brain. Probably there's for sure there is a crosstalk with the brain. Uh, but remember these signals, these right? return to baseline after four weeks, right? So these dropped yeah. in four weeks, but by twelve weeks they were back to baseline in this cluster no. four. So, and I think there's been some strong evidence that appetite increases when you when you take on an exercise program, I don't think yeah. I don't think it's known whether it's a biological increase or a or a no. psychological increase that that we tend to eat more because we think that we're exercising. But it's it's really an interesting uh, finding. And right, then the, the proaptotic, um, like you say, Dale, these these um, functions of 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 of, um, of cell turnover, right? It, it makes sense to me. 
if you're breaking down muscle and then reforming muscle, which I would expect yeah. them to be doing, they saw that pattern in in cluster one and cluster six in particular, which I thought was really was really mm. compelling. Yeah, yeah. And related to appetite, right, was cluster five, and that was where it dropped and then stayed relatively low, right? And among those was leptin. And Sydney, what can you tell me about leptin? Isn't that involved with appetite as well? Instead of appetite stimulating, isn't leptin, is it a It's a suppressing. suppressing? Yeah, that's my understanding of leptin. But, but you know, that's an isolation. So what is leptin doing when it's, you know, interacting with all these other proteins? Right. I also remembered in that one, what I'd written down was MSTN, right? So another protein within that, which I think had to do with musculogenesis, but I'd have to go pull it up again. Mm. Um, and then going back to cluster two, which I skipped at the beginning on purpose, and this is anti-inflammatory proteins, right? Like, um, was it IL-10, where it starts low, goes a little lower, and then spikes up after 12 weeks. And what does that imply, right? Where this whole low level of, inf or I'm sorry, high level of inflammation that people who are obese generally have, at, after 12 weeks, we see a marked improvement, right? In terms of this high level of inflammatory activity, which I thought was really interesting and informative. The very fact that, right, we're uh, the body is a system, all these particular clustered changes that we're monitoring over time as a re direct result of intervention. So I think the high level message is keep exercising. <laughs> Well, right. and exercise has so many benefits other than than just weight, right? I mean, it's got yep. clear benefits to your brain, to depression. I mean, it's one of the most important interventions that you can do in 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 uh, psychological uh, many psycho psychiatric uh, um, cohorts. So it's it's a very it's just the it's the most powerful intervention we all have at our fingertips, right? So yep. Yep. And this one is just a really interesting experiment where they're able to just change one variable, which is the amount of exercise, right? Yeah. Although, <laughs> you, you know, starting from things. zero to three times a week, you might, I might want to suggest <laughs> maybe start one with one actually. time a week, 30 <laughs> well, minutes. They, what, yeah. Well, it's interesting so too, because they had to go to a particular place, right there yeah. in Hong Kong, yeah. an exercise physiology center where they had, right, monitors and, and all this and, and encouragement. Coaches. Yeah, yeah. And coaches, you know, they basically say, you know, they were encouraged and they use that language, right, to do this, to do this, to this. And they don't give any more details as far as the compliance. Yeah. <laughs> what do they use? I don't know. Yeah. What kind of rewards? I, I don't know. How, how much do they pay these uh, volunteers? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I think a really interesting uh, take-home message, too, is uh, to, to dance through right several figures on volcano plots and significantly up and down regulated proteins uh, was figure six about the differential changes being able to distinguish between responders and non-responders, right? And that has yeah. a potential clinical uh, kind of implications. Uh, Sir Anthony, do you want to comment on figure six? Yeah, I mean, this, uh, I, I think, uh, not especially in this figure, but uh, among these uh, 23 proteins that there's significantly change in responders versus non-responders, I think there are also mentioned that there are proteins like TFF2 that they regulate mucosa gastrointestinal immunity. And this could be a direction through the connection, interconnection with microbiome, gut microbiome. 
and this isn't they don't have really direct data to show this but uh, once can and that stand identify the fact that regulating genes like tff2 you may indirect influence the expression of immune response genes in mucosa and in that reason you can regulate for example gut microbiome that's really important also to your metabolism it's really important when you have to deal with exercise and diabetes right and you think yeah, of the gut so microbiome as a part of your system right yeah, yeah. And here yeah. it is we're yeah. intervening with exercise yeah. right an yeah. extra organ exactly yeah. we're yeah. intervening yeah. with exercise and the gut microbiota is changing and they're unpicking some of the biology using this TFF2, mm. right? And then they yeah. use several other molecules, which I thought was uh, pretty deep because, right, I'm not an uh, expert on the microbiome, but they talked about a prior study where they looked at, right? Yeah, Exercise innovation. Yeah, yeah in 2020. <laughs> yeah, so they, they, this is so important. I'm so glad you brought this up, Sarantis, is that this same team at Azu's, Dr. Zhu's lab uh, found a, a role for gut microbiota in, in conferring the metabolic benefits of exercise. In other words, mediating, they saw a, a, a signature uh, in responders of, of exercise that was specific in this this gut microbiota, which would suggest, and they, they talk about this in this paper, that there might be an opportunity in responders versus non-responders to do an intervention with those that you predict to be non-responders, do an intervention, see if you can't nudge the microbiome in a direction that might make it more make the body more responsive to the metabolic benefits of exercise which i thought was super compelling right i mean it's not easy to nudge the microbiome but but it is possible and and so bringing these two bodies of work together you know in mm-hmm. in a in a preliminary way and think about what what they might do in the future i think is super fun super exciting yeah it's a system I mean, the particular, uh, particulars on the mechanism, right? It gets super complicated in terms of exactly how the effects of the immune system in the gut microbiome, exactly how that mechanism works. I'm sure that's sort of an area of, of active interest. Uh, but to think that to be able to get actually a 23 protein signature and say, all right, you group here with these 23 proteins has a pretty high likelihood of benefit from high intensity exercise. Yeah. And then I guess, yeah, thinking about it now, it's like, well, there are other benefits anyway, even, but then the, the end point was uh, pre diabetes, right? The whole end point was how do we lower, right? That risk of diabetes. Yeah. So such a big healthcare burden, right? Yeah. Any concluding comments from either of you, Sarantis, Cindy? Yeah, Sarantis, I'll let you go first if you if you want to if you had some yeah, well, closing that, ideas. I think first of all, um, the use of uh, few biomarkers like twenty three integration of uh, a machine learning algorithm, it's again and again coming in uh, to our attention, and I think it will really help a lot of diagnosis uh, for a lot of disease from now on. And of course, the exercise is at the end of the the best medicine for a lot of things, right? There you yeah. go. That should be our final <laughs> statement, right? Right there. I'm just going to double click on that, baby. is the best medicine. This particular paper in Cell Reports Medicine was published just in February. The title is A Machine Learning Algorithm Integrating Baseline Serum Proteomic Signatures Predicts Exercise Responsiveness in Overweight Males with Pre-Diabetes. Well, thank you for joining us today. See you next time. 
Thank you for listening to the Proteomics in Proximity podcast, brought to you by Olink Proteomics. To contact the hosts or for further information, simply email info at olink.com. Thank you.